0: It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour. I'm your host, Edward Huggleton. Joining me today is Dr. Lee Min In this episode, we discuss the recent events in Russia, the possible coup and what this foretells for Putin, for Russia, and for world relations with a focus on China and the United States. We'll discuss how China's strategy in implementation of unrestricted warfare plays into these events. Specifically, we'll focus on chapter two, the war God's face has become indistinct. That chapter It is important to see how this unrestricted warfare can be applied and is being applied in this regard. And we'll discuss the potential impacts on U.S. independence. Being this is the 247th anniversary of the United States independence, the question is, will we see our 248th anniversary? This is a very poignant question, as I believe Russia is a failed state. It's not a matter of when it will fail. It's if. I mean, exactly opposite, but you got the point. We'll discuss China's strategy with Russia and what it foretells for the United States, both short-term and strategically in the long-term. The discussion provides a strategic perspective, assessments, analysis, and insights, and deeper understanding of the importance of unrestricted warfare, what this actually means in today's ongoing global power competition. This is part of a series of con- critical ongoing discussions between Dr. Yan and myself on cognitive warfare. As I engage with her in a weekly program, her weekly program, the voice of Dr. Yan, now and then, and also here on the National Security Hour with myself. Dr. Yan is a medical doctor, a PhD virologist, artist, and independent coronavirus expert. She was educated at two top medical schools in China, the Southern Medical University and Central South University, she is also a post-doctorate fellow in the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Her expertise is widely known, as you've seen her on major networks discussing her being the only Chinese insider within the West with firsthand knowledge about the true nature of the coronavirus and the CCP's deceptive methods. She brings a unique insight and cultural perspective on China and their efforts in cognitive warfare. Today, with Dr. Yen, we're going to get her perspective on three related topics. Russia is a failed state. China and how are they playing restricted warfare in this context? And what's China's strategy in Russia and supporting Putin in this effort? This effort, this whole episode here with Russia and a potential failed state speaks to, is the United States going straight to hell? And what I mean by that, is with the cognitive warfare and with the Russia-failed state, we could quickly move from heaven to hell in a heartbeat. And people don't realize that. So that's why today's discussion is very important. Dr. Yan, let me welcome you. And let me start with your perspective on the first question. If Russia is a failed state, what do the events in Russia and Ukraine foretell? And the second part of that we'll get to is, what is China's and U.S. preparation for such a failure?
1: Thank you, Edward. And first, I want to say, so if Russia is a field state, as you said, and I, I would say that the event that definitely the coup, the current coup, is one of the very important turnover. That is to show you how unstable Russia is. And also, that is a common thing happened in the tyrannist countries, not only Russia. China share the similar weakness. So well, uh, I mean, I'm not that familiar with Russian issue as you, but I know China. So this kind of coup is also what Chinese Communist Party has put so much effort, including money and manpower to prevent. And if you have listened to the uh, video we revealed last May about Chinese Communist Party's top generals talking about how to mobilize people prepare for the war against the Taiwan and also against the America to reestablish the uh, island chain, right? At that time, they specifically mentioned in Guangdong area because that conference is happened in Guangdong province, in that whole province, which is so important for CCP in their military strategy. However, they don't have enough people to control the citizens. So they were talking about how to use a very limited manpower like 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers to control that kind of uh, tens of millions of Guangdong people. And also they are talking about how to use so-called light weapon to control them. Why? Because China government doesn't trust their own military too. So they don't even give bullet of real guns to uh, these soldiers or armed police. Only very few of them can get the uh, access to this kind of a and then get real weapons. That's why they're talking about how to suppress people using like the, for example, uh, digital technologies to surveillance them and also using sticks or other kind of light weapon to control them. And the most important thing is psychological war against uh, their own uh, citizens in China. So for China, Definitely, they don't want to have such coup or such protest, and they have prepared, I think, more than Russia because they have modern technology and they developed the unrestricted war and the cognitive war even against their citizens. So this is a very important difference, which we need to consider uh, before we see uh, what happens in the next step.
0: So it's a great, uh, great overview in terms of some real issues with with uh, China there, potentially. And, you know, I've read several places where Xi is very concerned about the same type of coup happening in China, just as you're outlining here. What's always amazing to me is the lack of U.S. and world ability to then take that understanding, take that understanding and drive Xi to constantly react to control his own people, because if we have mapped the information environment in China properly, and we understood the main and key influencers and leveraged those influences from those here in the United States going back into China, it would not take a significant effort to cause him great, great consternation, because as we saw with the COVID flu lockdowns, he had to acquiesce and open up the gates because the, the population almost completely revolted at that point. But What's interesting here is with Russia and with the potential coup, the difference between China and Russia is the Russian military is not being used to control the people. The Russian military is being used to actually conduct the war. Now, they're having a hard time recruiting and they're forcing recruits to the front lines, right? And that's why they hired the Wagner Group, because they didn't have enough people and properly trained military. So back in China, you have also a military that's never really been forced to conduct massive scale operations, right? So from a preparation standpoint, what's your perspective on if Russia becomes a failed state? One of the potential problems there is not only the loose nukes that would happen, but also the lack of border control through the stands, the five stands, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. Uh, Turkmenistan, and, uh, and uh, Kazakhstan. But not only there, but the Russian border itself, there's 2600 miles of border between China and Russia. And so if Russia becomes a failed state, what's to stop then the massive influx of Chinese immigrants to try to seek a different life in, in Russia? One, so what's your perspective on that before I ask another question in that regard?
1: Oh, yeah. So Chinese people actually at that time, uh, according to my understanding for Chinese culture, uh, won't very actively uh, go to Russia or go to Stans, uh, those five uh, Middle Asian countries, because uh, Chinese people, mainly they still prefer China more than Russia and the Middle Asian countries. And also at that time, definitely, Chinese. if Chinese Communist Party didn't fail at that time, then Chinese Communist Party will enhance its influence through the stance and also towards Russia. So we have to first defend the failure of Russia. If we talk about the failure in just the Ukraine war and Russia state still there and the regime still continues, then that is another story. Because at that time, yeah. China will still work with Russia, uh, maybe in an alternative way, in a more secret way, and they will wait for another opportunity and then again launch the war or more chaos against the Western countries. But Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so if we are talking about a total collapse, like the Soviet Union and the Putin regime doesn't exist and Russia uh, start to even move from current situation to more open, more freedom state, or the, they, they become collapsed like uh, now the Eastern Europe countries. At that time, definitely China will enhance the influence and Chinese Communist Party is very aggressive. Xi Jinping also has a huge China dream and also hey, he wants mankind, all the mankind share a same future, which means he wants take over the world it, uh, from the ideology. So that's why at that time, uh, America definitely should be, should work as a leader for the uh, freedom world. And you have to proactively, interfere the situation. So you have to prepare before that, like from now on, or even before, we definitely need to work from now on to think about once it happened, how could you make the balance? And also you should not, definitely you should not leave more opportunities to Chinese communist party or Xi Jinping or the similar regime to uh, stay in China. Because as long as, this kind of tyrannist regime can stay in China, work more, they will accumulate all this kind of experience. Yes. They will work more on unrestricted warfare. They will develop technology to compete with you in the soon future. And then they have advantage in the cognitive warfare. So as you mentioned, actually the instability already exists, but, Maybe it's because of the previous diplomatic policies. America tried to stay aside from China, from Asia, and that gave Russia and China very good opportunity to grow up and influence each other. So at that time, you have to prepare to influence China, make it come to the pro-US value campaign.
0: Yeah. So your, your points are very good uh, because uh, so in the worst case scenario for Russia, a completely failed state, one of the worst situations that may happen for China is not only the loose nukes aspect, which is also a con- big concern for the United States. Because if you have like the fall of the Soviet Union, we spent a lot of time and money with the Nunn-Lugar Act to go in there and try to control the nuclear weapons and such. Now with the Russian failed state, if the open borders were there, I would suspect that, yes, some Chinese would would go across the border for potential freedom. However, to your point, which is a good one on the cultural aspects, they probably wouldn't want there initially. On the worst case scenario, though, is, is what we're talking here is, well, so the U.S. preparation. Well, the U.S. preparation isn't there, in my opinion. You can see from the recent reports and articles that how surprised our politicians and stuff were. So they're planning for... Ukraine to push back on Russia, potentially get rid of Putin. But what the hell's next? Nobody's planned for that. And they haven't planned for what we're talking about here is a truly Russian failed state where you have the fragmentation, not only of all of Russia, but also the control of the nuclear weapons. Now, in that situation, China, to your point, has pre-positioned itself proactively quite well. Because it's already done influenced in the five stands, plus also other areas of Russia. I mean, I mean, Russia, to me, the reason why I see it as a failed state is it's predominantly just a gas station with a lot of minerals and a lot of nuclear weapons. But now with the war, it's not only had a depleted younger population, because a lot of the younger population has fled Russia already because of the dictatorship. But it's now getting a more diminished military and the military is going through meat grinder. So even if they wanted to protect their borders and protect the loose nukes, they're going to have the least qualified and a smaller force to do so. So that gives China a predominantly open range to do whatever they want. And what's the U.S. going to do? It has no position to go back and fight back on that, anything. Other than what you're suggesting, which is what we've talked about in this program several times, is they have to start driving proactive influence operations, cognitive warfare, not only in Russia, but also, as you're suggesting, back into China. Because we have to drive that uncertainty, that destabilization of the Xi regime, so that he focuses resources internally, because his military may be large size. But as you point out, most of the military is used to watch the people, to control the people. So in, in a worst-case situation with the Russian failed state, yes, China may have a much greater leverage and advantage. But if Russia fails and the Chinese military and others see that as a hint to then take things can she? if you have a Russian failed state and Chinese failed state, you have a real nightmare, and that's where I say we may be going to hell in a handbasket in a short order. We have about a minute before the break. What are your thoughts on if, if Russia and China both became failed states at the same time?
1: The thing is China won't become a failed state unless U.S. proactively interfere. Because Chinese people has different characters compared to Russia, Chinese people are generally more realistic and they want not get American side support. And then they will have something uh, work on the uh, like coup or other things. If America doesn't proactively interfere as a situation, Russia may. So at that time, Russia, again, will have leftover forces to influence China, and that will become a new nightmare for the United States and
0: so, China. So, so great points, because key here is the United States must proactively have a strategy of what we want in Russia and China. And the lack of such a strategy, which we don't see right now, causes major concern. As we go on break here, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com, your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We must all do our part, share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, so we can help secure America's future and also help secure the world's future. We'll be right back.
2: The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natto Their spike support formula contains natto the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. Welcome back to
0: the National Security Hour. On with me today is Dr. Yen. It's always a pleasure to have her on and get her unique perspective. On China's culture and their take on cognitive warfare. So as we left on the break, we were talking about both Russia and China and Russia being a failed state. Well, one of the key scenarios that could actually happen that Americans must be thinking about and so must world leaders is what happens if both Russia becomes a failed state with China and the China military and others then take a look at what's happening and start to conduct the same type of operations, the coup within China, that could very well happen. Are we prepared for such things? So Dr. Yan, before we move on to uh, the impact of cognitive war and, and the unrestricted warfare chapter two, any last thoughts on uh, Russia and China China failed state and, and, the, and the proactive aspects we should be taking a look at?
1: Uh, yeah, as we uh, talked in the master section, the Chinese people have total different uh, Uh, characters compared to Russian because we are different uh, races. And Chinese people, uh, we need to think about our history. For over 2,000 years, the history and also the brainwashed by Confucius, this kind of culture before the communism. Chinese people actually are very Trained, obedient, like the sheep population. Okay, I'm the Chinese person. This is not anti Chinese. This is just a simple fact. Chinese people, uh, first, if without CCP, Chinese people won't be very aggressive, want to expand their area. They prefer to stay at home. And even the living condition is kind of tough, but Chinese people still prefer to work hard and just maintain a kind of okay uh, living level to maintain their life, that's enough. And Chinese people definitely have a lot of potential, but currently CCP has seriously suppressed the potential. So when we talk about the potential uh, stabilization in China, we should think about Chinese people even has no uh, idea of guns, not like American, not like Russian, so even now, you give the gun to the general Chinese people, they will just a step back. But if there is other force behind them, support them, they will become brave because they they can be more confident. They lack of confidence, and in this case, when we say future, if CCP is going to be this stable, then if America can prepare for that, can change your foreign policies, can proactively influence Chinese people, provide the support, then Chinese people will definitely turn to America side because Chinese people, they know in America people have better life, more freedom, just they don't know how exactly it is and how to change the current situation in China. However, if U.S. doesn't do that, Russia, they're left over KGBs, they're left over communists, they're left o- over all the guys. These people will also use their network in China, which they have already built the massive network. And they will use the more direct and rude way to threaten those people and to force those people work with them. At that time, it become another miserable situation for all over the world. So this is a thing I just want to emphasize.
0: So that's great. And it leads into the cognitive warfare discussion. So as we've continued to talk about the different chapters and the unrestricted warfare by the two uh, CCP colonels. But the second chapter of the war, God's face has become indistinct, meaning basically from my perspective, you know, what is war? What is non war? And it's indistinguishable these days here. So, one of the aspects they write about is with a pro- progressive breaking down of the distinction between military technology and civilian technology, and between the different professional soldier and non professional warrior, the battle space will overlap more and more with non battle space, serving also to make the line between these two entities less clear, meaning as we've seen for a long time here in the United States, what what we call the gray zone warfare, okay, war before the level of conflict, has increased significantly. But in this chapter here, the two gentlemen go on to describe a variety of different means for conducting cognitive warfare. What's critical for the audience to understand here, especially for our U.S. audience and leadership, is if you do not define the future you want or a specific region of the world and then drive actions to reach that vision. You defer defining the future to our adversaries. And that's where we are at now with both China and Russia. We have to get out of this myoptic view of three or four years and what's three or four years of the next administration. By doing so, we defer the future and defining that future to like China and Russia. Now, China's been implementing this cognitive war and unrestricted warfare since 1999, 24 plus years ago when this book was published. But these two colonels go on to talk about multiple different variations of the ongoing cognitive war, psychological, smuggling, media, drugs, network, technological, fabrication, resources, economic, cultural, international, lawfare, and financial and others biological. And so, Dr. Yin, as we see what's happening in Russia, my perspective is she has played Putin perfectly like a fool because she knows Putin is weakened. He knows he's probably physically not in the greatest of all health, but he knows he needs support for this war. But China, with the stance, is conducting this cognitive warfare within the stance to then, as you said, paint a more positive picture for China. And potentially then paint for the Russian people. Here's an ally because they're siding with Putin now to help them if Putin were to go the south and demise if Putin were to leave the face of the earth. So, what's your thoughts in terms of how this cognitive warfare is being applied within the stands and within Russia by Xi to then up his game and and better seat his position? Should Russia become a failed state?
1: Uh, Actually, I may have a little bit different opinion that Chinese Communist Party didn't play so much cognitive tactics against uh, Russia. I mean, especially compared what they have applied to the United States, because when CCP talking about and develop their cognitive strategy, uh, they have a lot of things they learned from Russia. And because the Communist Party actually is a, just kind of a branch of Soviet Union uh, communism initially, and they, they financial, this established this party in China back to hundred years ago. So during the Chinese Communist Party's history, a lot of secrets and the dirty things are controlled by Russian Soviet Union part. So that means it's kind of Russia and KGB and this uh, intelligence system, uh, they always can have some uh, something they can control CCP. And they also know, because Chinese Communist Party established based on their structure, so they know it better than United States. They know how to control this uh, society, this system better than US. So that's why in front of, now, currently, it's Russia. Previous USSR, Chinese Communist Party has that kind of, uh, if you we want to say, lack of confidence, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, um, how's it? Uh, um, we Chinese people will say this is Chinese people called Russia as Russia father, you know. So this is a word can reflect this kind of weird relationship. Because uh, in Chinese culture, if you say this is father, that means you respect him, listen to him, yes. unconditionally, you will offer your things to him to show your respect. So that's one of the uh, motive, uh, one of the reasons CCP can financially support Russia and also provide uh, unlimited help. And you will see that Uh, when Xi Jinping uh, went to Moscow to meet Putin, we can see from their uh, behaviors, their physical language that Xi Jinping actually won't make Putin happy. But of course, on the other hand, Xi Jinping is very aggressive. He also believes now he's uh, necessary for Russia for this uh, combination. So he knows how to... Play the other allies in that uh, evil campaign. Like those stance is definitely the thing Xi Jinping will uh, use uh, not only cognitive warfare, but also will using other way like the money issue and uh, uh, yeah, this kind of unrestricted tactics to favor. And uh, Xi Jinping also knows that these stance are not their stable friends because the stance is Mid-Asian country, and also Russia, in Chinese history, they all, if they want, come to China to fight against the the China government, (laughs) they always win. So China government has to give them money to make them happy, and then have the temporary peace between them. So in this way, China also, Historically, in CCP's mind, they know it's very difficult for them to win the battles against them and Russia. They will seek for the balance. The balance will enhance CCP's control and influence. And this kind of balance will help them to get more power from these countries. They will work together to compete the United States. And so that's why U.S. has more chance to bring these allies to US side. Yes. And uh, China is now using different tactics to prevent it. One thing is to prevent America realize this weakness.
0: No, so so some great points there. And, and I don't mind ever when, when you disagree or have a different point of view than me on things, because I think that makes for a great discussion. So there's sort of multiple layers there. So I agree with you is that, you know, Russia's KGB has probably a lot of different aspects and also agents within China because they've been always very effective at that and playing those different games. And so they have that long-term. The fatherly relationship with Russia and China, as you mentioned with KGB, fully concur on that. I think that's that's an apropos uh, statement because China's learned over the years on that. However, now I think with the relationship between Xi and Putin, uh, Xi, as you said, has become more aggressive. Xi, I believe and I think rightfully so, I think has stepped up his game uh, vis-a-vis the U.S. much much broader, much more effectively than Russia could have ever hoped for, okay? And so when he went to Russia, uh, he, I think, he even referred to Putin as the junior partner, okay? And so that that probably didn't sit well with Putin, but I think that's part of the reality here. But part of the cognitive warfare, And part of defining what you want for the future, when I talk about defining the 50, 100 years out for the future for a region, my perspective on the stance goes along with what you're saying here. It's not in cognitive warfare. It's not about subduing people fully. It's neutralizing them, making them complacent and compliant. If they're complacent and compliant, you've basically subjugated them. Okay. You've won the case. So as long as China can get the stance to acquiesce through money or other types of uh, and economic endeavors and stuff like that, technological support, uh, maybe fabrication factories, you know, other economic aid, all of which is what the colonels talk about in the second chapter here. They then create a state where they can make the stance a bit more neutral, okay? To your point, if the United States was proactive in our efforts to conduct cognitive warfare and driving our vision for the future we want and help the stands to understand the more proactive, positive future we would have for a free China, uh, help Putin's uh, citizens understand the more proactive, free we would want for, for Russia in the future, we would be in a much better position. However, from my perspective, we've undercut that ability significantly when we left the Cold War. Why? Because when the Cold War ended and we declared victory, we walked away from Russia. It was at that time, it was critical to continue the cognitive warfare capabilities and basically drive proactive influence, but through positive measures. Cognitive war doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive influence. But once we failed to help Russia do that, the oligarchs and the despots like Putin took over. And so Now we have to take a look at for the future, as you're suggesting, with this cognitive warfare is what can we do to counteract China in the stands? But more importantly, what can we do to then drive these same type of warfare efforts, psychological, media, network, technological, back into China to stabilize Xi? And and what I mean by destabilizing him, not to the point necessarily of overthrowing Xi, but causing him consternation so that he has to use his own resource to look internal, to focus internal. So we remove his threat from the world stage until he passes. That's really a long-term objective we should have in the United States. So what would you see as potential ways to, for the United States to drive a more positive, proactive uh, influence of Chinese people that would help them sort of, as you said, position the United States in a much better perspective. What are the things you think that U.S. US could do to help their case with the Chinese people?
1: U.S. has a very good advantage because you have the high technology, you have the very mature, experienced uh, strategy and in the previous wars, and also Chinese people, I can tell you, Chinese people, uh, from the heart, they actually won't have the same life as Americans. Just their lack of the ways to achieve it, and the CCP suppress it. CCP. That's why CCP portrayed America as a top enemy, uh, for over seventy years. Again and again, emphasized that. So. Chinese people, as I said, they're very realistic, and they can suffer very tough situation, like the lockdown. You see people even hungry to die at home, and they even dare not to fight against the police without gun, and they even dare not to uh, break some kind of storage in the city and get their food or drugs. This is a one thing to tell, sh- one thing to reflect: how obedient Chinese people are. However, if you have the this kind of force behind, they will be more brave.
0: So, so that's a very good point. So, I appreciate that that perspective. But we're going to come back after the break. We're going to talk more about this strategy here because, for our audience, I think it's critically important for the United States to get off of its rear end, and our policy leaders, our public officials. And and elected leaders to actually start to put together longer term strategies, not only for what we want China and Russia and Asia to be 50 to 100 years from now, but how do we position America as a leadership role in that and position and prepare the world to help facilitate proper transfers from dictatorships to more independent states? They're not going to be full democracies because the cultural aspects are just too different. What happened? But how do we prepare and get to that point? When we come back from break, Dr. Yen and I will talk about that strategy aspect as related to Russia as a failed state and where we go from here. Remember, America Out Loud talk radio plays on iHeartRadio network. And you can also listen to our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in class applications available on Apple, Android and Alexa, where we stream 24 by 7. And now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same applications. Just go to AmericaOutloud.com, AmericaOutloud.com. We'll be right back.
2: America Outloud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all.
1: Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers.
0: Welcome back to the Mass Security Gower. We have a special guest on today, again, Dr. Yen, and we're talking cognitive warfare, but as it relates to the potential of Russia being a failed state. So, as we were in the break, Dr. Yen and I were discussing a number of different things about Russia, China, and U.S. future strategy. Before we get to that strategy aspect there, one of the key things I like our audience to understand is if Russia becomes a failed state, they have thousands of nuclear weapons. And with the military that's been depleted and without economic assistance, financial assistance, social assistance, other aspects, and without a world and the United States prepared to assist in that transition from a failed state and move it in a methodical pattern to a more democratic, independent state, Okay, unless we have those preparations, we can see, again, hell on earth here occur very quickly because those loose nukes can be sold on the black market, tactical nukes, not the the ICBMs, but the ICBMs could be as well eventually, but the tactical nukes can be sold on the black market. And with our open borders in the United States right now, and no way to really verify or validate who's coming in. Okay. They could carry an attack a nuclear weapon into any portion of the United States. Okay. So it's not beyond, beyond the realm of possibilities. So we have to pay close attention to this. And when we see a potential Russian failed state, from my perspective, being an old Soviet studies guy, we have to be well prepared to then go in and with the world, have a detailed plan of how we're going to help the different portions of Russia move either from uh, the current positions into a more unified Russia and independent Russia, or also consider the fragmentation of Russia into different peace parts, much as different segments of, of China could be in the future. And so let me go there now with Dr. Yen, because we see a parallel within Chinese cultural history. Right? China is not just one conglomerate of like people. Just like in the United States, you go to different parts of the United States, there are different cultural aspects, different language nuance, different semantics. Okay. But China has even a much more diverse and long history than the United States of multiple different provinces or regions throughout their history. And so what are your thoughts in terms of as the US looks to China? and drive cognitive warfare towards increasing our influence on China. What's our strategy to get for the, what do you think our strategy should be for China for the future at multicultural provinces and other things back to you, Dr. Yen.
1: So first, America should give the proactive influence to China, support Chinese people. I mean, not China government. I mean, the potential Chinese force which will fight against the terrorist regime and also embrace the value of America. However, this only can be done through Chinese people. And uh, let me be more specific. It has to be done mainly for the by the mainland Chinese people because the only people come from mainland understand the history there and the culture there. Even when we talk about Taiwan or Hong Kong or Macau because they have been uh, isolated from mainland for quite a while, then if they go back to mainland, they also have this kind of culture barrier and of course language barrier. So in this case, America have to find out the reliable helpers who are Chinese people and have to make sure these people won't be the next Saddam from uh, Iraq, right? They should be the one who understand this kind of values of America. They should understand freedom, democracy, human rights, understand separation of power because these are all the things lack for Chinese people. So even like me, I can tell you, I'm here for over three years. I try to learn more and more about Americans' culture and all these kind of uh, issues. But still, when I face to something, I will have the idea, yeah, why do they quarrel? Why do they just make agreement and make decisions that will be more efficient? So this is kind of automatically come out. But if you don't change this kind of thinking, this is dangerous because it will be another beginning of the terrorist regime if you let those people have the idea control the power again, right? So distinguish the fake dissident, the real dissident, and then try to cultivate to help these people understand America and to find a way to help Chinese people is very important. And also, when we talk about the culture difference inside mainland China, from east to west, you say east side, you see Shanghai, right? The one of the top uh, metropolitan city in the world in the history. And then you go inside to uh, mid side. Mid side, there will be Xi'an, which is Xi Jinping's hometown. People are very loyal to, generally, very loyal to Xi Jinping and the CCP. They are proud of CCP's history in that province and it's it's Xi Jinping hometown, so they, they enjoy that glory. And then you go back to, inside it will be Tibet, it will be Xinjiang. Basically, they are not Han people, they are not the majority Chinese people's race. They have their own culture and they are the controversial and whether they should be independent or not in the history, they have their own religion. Everything is different basically. So how could America influence all these areas? Definitely it takes a long time. Like the Bible told us mostly Bring people for 40 years, leave the desert. So that is the long period for Chinese should experience little by little, get away from the previous culture and environment. So start from the east, east, seaside. And basically you can consider it from my hometown, Qingdao, Shandong, and to Shanghai, Jiang, uh, Jiangsu, Shanghai, Zhejiang. Fuji, which is opposite to Taiwan, uh, and then Guangdong area. So this area, they uh, get uh, um, Western influence even back to World War I. And then they have the open harbor. They also, they are the best partners America and Western country need for supply chain because manufacturing uh, industry basically stays there. So, in they are the most uh, people want have embraced the American culture, Western culture, and then go through that to the inside. And the, so, Western side and also the Western North side, uh, Northwestern side definitely will be the last population you can influence. So, during this process, I don't think China should maintain as a big China because that is not stable. And also that's why China government need to spend a huge amount of money and manpower to maintain the united. You should use value to make people come to you, not use the force to push people to stay together. Then separate into small states, maybe it will become federal states later, and it could be like the Eastern European countries. And so this kind of strategy will fit the human the needs of the human right. And so the regime it should not be superior to human rights. And so that's why I would recommend Americans think about the strategic little by little influence this homeland in China.
0: Oh well, so so you're spot on is is it from my perspective anyhow, because the key here in, in cognitive warfare, and I, I'm finishing up a book on cognitive warfare, why we're losing and how we can win. But in, in the book, but also what we're talking about here, you have to pilot smaller examples of ways you could do influence in a positive nature. And I'll talk about the parallels both for China and Russia because it's par- basically the same type of cognitive warfare. Now, cognitive warfare for our audience OK, it's just the ways and means to drive a certain strategy. It can be used for good purposes or it can be used for evil purposes. The, that's the essence of cognitive warfare, good versus evil. What Dr. Yen and I are talking about is the good side of cognitive warfare. But as she rightfully points out, if you haven't properly mapped the information environment, understand the cultural, understand the linguistics aspects in nature, OK, the social, economic, political elements of the different regions in China, but also let's apply this to Russia, Okay, then you cannot go in there and have an effective strategy of what you will do to then drive proactive influence for the outcome that we would desire for a more free republic, for a free set of states, either in China or Russia. And the reason I'm bringing them both up, because from my perspective, any dictatorship is already a failed state. The difference is just because the dictatorship is making money and influencing and driving, it will fail eventually. Why? Because people want freedom, different levels of freedom. But people have integrity. They have personal inside. They can feel that freedom aspect. And they know when they do not have that. So it's not a matter of if, it's when would that happen. And so as we look at the cultural aspects for China and Russia, and the social, the political, the educational, economic, the human rights. Every one of those aspects, the United States and the world must take a look at and figure out for Russia and for China, because they're two dictatorships, how do we drive the outcome we want in those countries to that desired end state? For example, if, if China was, uh, we wanted to influence in China, as Dr. Yen said. What's their education system and how do we understand their education system so that if there was a failed state, then what would we go in there and help them replace it with in a staged, subtle and slow, progressive manner? Because you're not going to go from teaching them Miles Little Red Book to democracy in the U.S. Constitution in one fell swoop. It would be too much for anyone to take on because culturally and mentally, you're going to have to bring them to where we are. Okay, And to do so, as Dr. Yen says, it has to be staged. It has to be over a period of time. And that's why cognitive warfare, as these two colonels have described, 24, 25 years ago, they've been implementing piece by piece because strategically it takes a long time for these things to go into place. So, Dr. Yen, as we take a look, let me go back and look at Russia right now. And Russia is a failed state. Putin may die here soon, or he may have another coup, but he is definitely weakened. No one wants to have these loose nukes and other stuff. But from a U.S. perspective with China, where are the potential touch points with China that you think the U.S. could leverage to start to drive a more proactive picture of the U.S., but also where you think US and China could come to agreement on with respect to uh moving Russia to a more stable state in the future. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, you mean move Russia to a stable state? Could you explain the topic to Well,
0: Yeah, if, if so if Putin were to to meet his demise and 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 to preclude Russia from becoming a truly failed state, uh so one of the areas, for example, I could see is it would be both in uh, Russia, I mean, U.S. and China's ventures to control the nuclear weapons, right, to also provide economic stability for the Russian military so that they could provide security for the nuclear weapons. So small potential areas like that where the U.S. and China would uh, hopefully come together if Russia started uh, to completely fail, where we could stabilize the state enough so that we would – Uh, preclude the loose nukes scenario?
1: Definitely, we should prevent the loose nukes uh, if Russia totally failed. However, I don't see the feasibility that current China government, I mean, Xi Jinping regime and CCP government can work with the United States to maintain the peace and prevent the nuclear attacks in the future together. Because if you have raised up CCP's military theory and based on Chao Dian's theory, as I said, currently last time we discussed another paper, Chao Dian wrote, they have already clarified that in CCP's mind, on their perspective, they believe U.S. is the enemy. And because they treat U.S. as enemy and they believe whatever U.S. offer to China, to CCP, is fake. So that means this is a strong and unchangeable distrust. So they treat it as a crisis of extensive, uh, how to say survive, right? So whether CCP can survive or not, it's up to this kind of invisible or visible war against the United States. So in this case, if United States government thought still you can, get help from China to maintain the world, world peace, then definitely you send the ship to the wolf. So you again give China the opportunity and China based on the unrestricted warfare and they they has already developed more tactics in as they mentioned also in the chapter two of that book. They are talking about the new world order, the new rules is yes. about the international law, China need to get involved. So when you give this opportunity to take care of the nukes and China will use their way to uh, promote the new mouse, which will favor China more, And yes. also China will take the advantage as the co-host of the nukes. And that is more advanced than Chinese nukes. So they won't let it to uh, stay there for peace, they will use it to intimidate America and other countries later on to achieve their purpose.
0: No, so so I appreciate that very much, and we'll be closing out here in, in just a minute. So I want to thank you very much again, Dr. Yen, for for joining me today in the program here. But your last comments are, I think, very spot on. So sometimes I ask a leading question, not wanting you you know what my opinion is on something, right? But you're making a very critical point that I want to highlight to our audience. China views us as the enemy. Okay. The Biden administration, which I think is compromised right now, okay, is aiding China. So for American politicians, if you're naive and stupid enough to think that President Biden is going to be able to handle a Russian failed state, okay, think again. And that's why when I opened this program today, I talked about are we going straight to hell? Well, if Russia becomes a failed state, China is not going to be there to help us or the world stabilize Russia. They're going to be there to destabilize further, including destabilize the U.S. further, which Dr. Yen just highlighted. And thank you, Dr. Yen, for doing that. Again, I didn't prime the pump on that. I just wanted her honest opinion. But her opinion matches my opinion in that regard. China is not our friend. And we will go straight to hell if Russia becomes a failed state. So we have to start preparing, and we must prepare with other world leaders who are Democrat and independent free countries, and what we will do with a Russian failed state, and what we need to do to drive China to start to react to what we see their future is versus us continuing to react to them. This has been another great discussion with Dr. Yen on cognitive warfare, and I very much appreciate her great insights here. I'm here on the National Security Hour each week to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I will go outside of the fog of the daily chaos to give you a strategic perspective on national security issues and speak truth to power, the power of we the people, so we together can best ensure the resilience and the security of a republic. Thanks for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America.